Next up, Campaign Beat, a weekly political analysis program produced by Montana Public Radio. Campaign Beat is hosted by Sally Mock and features Lee Newspaper State News Bureau Chief Holly Michaels and Rob Saldine of the University of Montana's Mansfield Center and Political Science Department. Here's Sally. Holly, a court ruling this week will allow supporters of Constitutional Initiative 121 to go ahead and collect signatures to try to get it on the ballot. And CI 121, if passed, would cap property taxes. But a lot of folks, both Democrats and Republicans, think that's a bad idea. Yeah, it's a pretty complex proposal. At its most basic, it does what you said, cap property taxes. It does that by reverting residential property taxes to 2019 values over time, puts a limit on how much they can increase going forward, and then assessed values would also jump any time a property sold or there's something like new construction. And again, like you said, opposition to this proposal is one of the few things these days where we're seeing people from both sides of the aisle in the legislature come together you're hearing from Republicans, Democrats, and then also interest groups from kind of all across the spectrum. Their concerns for this proposal is they worry it will shift the tax burden to somewhere else or cause cuts in services that are paid for with property taxes. You know, if the taxes are capped, but we have continuing population growth, more demand, we're that needs to be paid for somehow. The group who brought this initiative, they you know, disagree with that assessment. And they also point out the legislature's been pressed to take action on property taxes, but failed to do that in recent sessions. And, and we heard two Republican legislators in mid-April acknowledge that and say, you know, if this initiative doesn't end up passing, they really need to do something in the upcoming session in 2023 to head off another attempt like this. So we did see a unanimous vote through a legislative interim committee to make clear that they oppose this initiative. And that's where things get a little convoluted. Like you said, a judge in Helena is letting signature gathering continue for this. What happened is a group opposed to this initiative sued saying that two things hadn't happened that need to before signature gathering happens. That's this committee vote, which would appear on the petition that people signed to get this on the ballot. And then the attorney general has to come in and do an assessment of if the proposal would cause any harm to business interests. But what the Helena judge found is that the new law that created those two steps, the committee vote and the AG's actions, only apply to ballot initiatives that are aimed at changing state statute, not the Constitution like this one is. So we are seeing signature gathering going forward. I talked with supporters of this initiative, and they said the weather's kind of hampered their efforts a little bit, but they expect to be out on doors soon gathering signatures. We'll see if they get enough signatures to get it on the ballot. Rob, Congressman Matt Rosendale is running to be reelected in what is now the Eastern District. He put out a press release this week asserting Democrats have, quote, found an independent to run against him. And Rosendale thinks the idea is to help elect a Democrat. And he's referring to the recent entry into the race of independent candidate Gary Buchanan. 
And it sounds to me like, Rob, he's taking Buchanan's candidacy very seriously. Yeah, maybe so, Sally. I mean, the other thing it could be is just uh, an opportunistic ploy to raise some money, you know, rather than a clear indication that he's worried. You know, as we've talked about before, Rosendale really shouldn't have much to be worried about here. He's the Republican in an overwhelmingly Republican district, and all the national trends are pushing in the Republicans' favor from the midterm dynamic that favors the party not controlling the White House to President Biden's approval numbers to inflation concerns and so on. He really should be able to sleepwalk to another term here. But that said, and as we've also at least briefly touched on in past weeks, he has aligned himself quite clearly with the party's hard right. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Madison Cawthorns, the Lauren Boberts. Now, to be sure, Rosendale doesn't quite engage in the ridiculous culture war theatrics of those folks, but he's cast his lot with them and the people who insist Joe Biden stole the election and who are sympathetic to the January 6th coup attempt and so forth. Those are his people. More recently on Ukraine, he's been part of what's been described as the GOP's Putin caucus, and he's attacked Zelensky. And that stuff is way out of step with public opinion. So even in a very red district, at some point, one can go a bit too far. But even so, it's a heavy lift for his opponents. And it seems to me that the entry of Buchanan probably works to his advantage in a certain way, to the extent that if the opposition to him is divided between two candidates, Buchanan and whoever the eventual Democratic nominee is, and you have three people appearing on the ballot, that seems to me to be a dynamic that would favor Rosendale if the opposition to him is split between two candidates. So it would seem to me that uh, that opposition would want to consolidate behind one of those two alternatives, not be split. Holly, meanwhile, two of the Democrats running in the Western Congressional District, Cora Newman and Monica Trinnell, each have a new second TV ad out, and Newman's ad features her grandmother, Noonie Cooper. I hate political ads, but I love my granddaughter. That's me, Cora Newman. Growing up, Cora had big dreams, and she was a persistent little... Little girl, Noonie. Little girl. She never gives up. That's how she stopped greedy developers from stealing public lands and got help to rural Montana during the pandemic. That was pretty good. I know. Give them hell, babe. I'm Cora Newman, and I approve Noonie's message. (laughs) This ad, Holly, is all warm and fuzzy, but it also scores some points on public lands and health care. Yeah, it does. I mean, to me, a couple things stood out here. You know, we talked about on previous shows, part of this, um, you know, in this race, the idea of who's the most authentic Montanans going to be something that comes up in the primary and general election. So, you know, again, we see Newman trying to counter digs that had been made against her for moving back to Montana in 2019 before a Senate run in 2020. And, you know, her first had pointed to this little house in Bozeman where she said she lived when she was young. This one's got an image of Newman, you know, a ski bib from Bridger Bowl, which I think is a pretty standard photo. Lots of kids who grew up in Bozeman have. There's a similar one of my husband floating around. You know, this ad also kind of fits in with that genre of an ad. I think we see a fair amount, which is that I hate political ads, ads, and has a salty grandmother, which is kind of a fun, you know, kind of hard to not find that cute. But then it does transition into her grandmother, you know, talking about her as a kid and how that's carried into work on public lands now, which, like you said, is a pretty core thing for Democrats and Republicans in any cycle. 
And then gets into work Newman did during the pandemic, delivering COVID aid to rural communities, which public health is an issue I think where Newman's probably strongest on just given her professional background. So that makes a lot of sense here. One thing that kind of caught me watching this ad is COVID coming up and Newman did do a lot of work there on it, but you see the candidate wearing a face covering a couple times during this ad. And, you know, at the time when that aid was being delivered, that was one of the few measures we had to slow the spread of COVID you know, in a pre-vaccine world. But just given what a hot button issue I think masking has become now, that kind of jumped out at me. But then, you know, again, this is a Democratic primary, so a lot different crowd than the general election. So, yeah, pretty interesting ad. Well, Rob Monaco, Trinnell's ad has a totally different look and tone than Newman's. Here's that ad. Growing up on a ranch in Montana, I learned how to deal with snakes. And we have a real poisonous one in Ryan Zinke. Ryan Zinke used his position as Interior Secretary to negotiate a land deal to benefit himself. Then he lied to investigators to cover it up. I'm Monica Trinnell. I approve this message. In Montana, we know how to deal with snakes, like Ryan Zinke. Rob, this ad shows Trinnell taking a big shovel and scooping up a big and apparently real snake and carrying it off. Right. You know, unlike the Newman ad, as, as Holly noted, which is a you know classic positive ad oriented toward boosting awareness of her and establishing some positive connotations, Trinnell's new ad is a classic contrast ad. It's hard hitting. And I think it works pretty well for Trinnell to get to the general election, of course. Holly, as you note, you've got to win the Democratic nomination first. And certainly among Democrats, Zinke's very unpopular for, among other things, the scandals that Trinnell hits on here. I think it packs a punch, but these days it's not anything that would be considered over the top, I don't think. And Trinnell's message here may very well be just the kind of thing that Democratic primary voters are looking for. You know, not so much a a happy, feel-good kind of message, but portraying somebody who has the ability and who has the desire to stick it to Ryan Zinke. Lastly, Holly and Rob, there's a fight brewing at Montana State University over whether to name a building Gianforte Hall. And this would be to honor a $50 million gift from the Gianforte Family Foundation. And Holly, opponents of the naming argue for one thing, that it would violate a policy the Board of Regents have in place about donations from public officials. Yeah, the regents, who are the governing body for the university system, have a policy that says a building can't be named after an elected official until they've been out of office at least a year. And this is pretty similar to rules that we see around things like naming federal buildings. And the one thing about the regents' policy, it does give some leeway. You know, it says something about if a gift is especially large, it might be a reason to break that policy. MSU has said that this gift of $50 million is tied for second largest in school history. And some regents have said maybe that might warrant an exception to the policy here. We also you know, heard criticism about some of these regents that are making this decision have actually been appointed by Gene Forte after he took office in 2021. I think an interesting thing to point out with Gene Forte, too, is in 2016, he gave a gift of $8 million that created a future endowment for what became named the Gianforte School of Computing. And that at the time had a lot of critics, too, because that decision was made in May of the year of his first gubernatorial bid. 
Rob, the other objections center around arguments that Governor Gianforte and his foundation's views do not align with MSU's, especially regarding diversity and inclusion. Right. And, you know, it's probably worth noting here at the outset that this rather awkward situation has a couple sides to it that are worth uh, laying out. You know, on the one hand, there is just the basic financial reality here. MSU and the Montana University system are not so flush with cash that they can be turning down gifts like this. It's one thing maybe if you're Harvard with an endowment of $50 billion or whatever it is, but that's clearly not the case here. And uh, state support for higher education is quite limited in Montana, so outside funding is just absolutely essential for these institutions. Now, the other case, of course, is that it's awkward and it looks bad. Dave Parker, my cross-state colleague and friend at MSU, gave one of a number of articulations of this viewpoint this week. And you're right, Sally. I mean, part of that concerns values around diversity and inclusion and, and equity. The other argument, though, is that MSU is a public state institution and Gianforte is the governor of the state. And it looks like uh, something of a corrupt deal in which MSU gets a pile of money and the governor gets to use the university as a prop to garner some good press for himself. And it looks perhaps like an endorsement of the sitting governor. And uh, this particular governor, of course, as critics of the deal have outlined, is a controversial figure who's had a few minor scandals and one major scandal for, of all things, an act of political violence on his part. So that's just going to rub some people the wrong way. And some people will point to, well, there's a distinction between the Gianforte Foundation and Governor Gianforte, which is true and in a technical sense important, but that's not going to provide a whole lot of relief or peace of mind to those who recognize that uh, both the governor and the foundation uh, share the name Gianforte. Well, this is unusual because Montana's never had an office holder as wealthy as Mr. Jim Forte and able to give those kind of gifts. Robin Holly, our time is up. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Thanks Sally. Sally. You've been listening to Campaign Beats, a weekly political analysis program produced by Montana Public Radio. Campaign Beat features Rob Saldine of the University of Montana's Mansfield Center and Political Science Department, Lee Newspaper State News Bureau Chief Holly Michaels, and hosted by Sally Mock. Join us next week for more analysis of Montana politics.